Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on ProSound Web, sponsored by Shure. My name is Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of ProSound Web and Live Sound International, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Leonard. Hey, man. How's it going? How you doing, Chris? Doing good. I think, uh, I think Kyle is off uh, trying to get a new hat for Randy. I heard he, uh, <laughs> he, he lost it uh, loading in last week, I think. Kyle, is his new kick is he's got all these alter egos, and one of them is Randy, Randy the roadie. Who? What did he say? He did uh, some Six Six Flags tour in the seventies, and he's he's trying to buy all these wigs, and he wears them on the video chat here when we do our episodes. So that's that's what we have going on on our end. And our guest today, uh, I'm really excited. He was our first guest on the first ever episode of the Signal Noise podcast, and he's back. Um, You. If you are at all following um, pop rock mixing uh, popular music in the last three decades, there's there's no way that you have missed these acts. We're talking John Cicada, Jim Blossoms, Julio Iglesias, Engelbert Humperdinck, Van Halen, White Snake, Sarah McLaughlin, Avril Lavigne, Miley Cyrus, Journey, Matchbox Twenty. Most recently, Gwen Stefani, Peter Frampton, Janet Jackson. I'm out of breath. That's such a long list. And <laughs> at the helm for all of those incredible artists, ladies and gentlemen, my friend Jim Yakubuski. Hey, Jim, thanks for being here, man. Hey, my <laughs> pleasure, as always. Uh, it's always great to get to uh, chat with you, Michael. And now uh, I have a new uh, colleague uh, and friend, uh, uh, Chris Leonard. So it's nice to meet you, Chris, uh, via a podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, what's funny is your name came about to me about a year or so ago. Um, you know, I, I mostly work in the corporate world now, and part of my job uh, is to source freelancers that we need. Um, and so I'm constantly reaching out to guys that I, I currently use um, uh, for names or you know, to recommend. And I, I heavily use LinkedIn to kind of to source people or kind of research people. Um, and so uh, a good buddy of mine, uh, uh, Mark Allen, Oh, yes. um, <laughs> I, I emailed him and you know looking for names and stuff, and he had sent me a list. And uh, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, this uh, this this guy uh, Jim Jim Yakubusi. He's like, you should uh, you should use him. I'm like, all right, well, uh, you know, who, who is he? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I I just didn't know. And uh, and so I, I looked on LinkedIn, and I'm like, man, this you know. Your profile doesn't list too much of your work. I'm like, man, I don't really know who this guy is, you know. And, and I'm, I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I, you know, I, uh, I, you know, with a corporate, like, you know, you, 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 you can't mess up in who you pick to run your shows, yes. uh, especially in the higher end shows. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know, right? And I, I meet him back. I'm like, I'm not really sure who this guy is. He's like, yeah, just Google his name. And I and then and I just type name in Google. I'm like, oh shit. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> my bad. Well, you know, I I would say in corporate world, you know, it's you can look someone up on the internet, and but until you've done a show with them and they haven't, uh, you know, caused mayhem and and, and sadness, <laughs> it's 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 still okay to to double check someone. I've uh, I I had uh, man one of my PMs. I'll never let this down. So um, you know. We had a guy we were interviewing, like did multiple phone interviews, uh, resumes, all this stuff, right? Was was basically going to almost to the point of hire him, right? Um, and we had a, a national sales meeting set up like in, I don't know, Florida or somewhere. And this guy lived in Vegas and he was going to relocate to us, which is in, in Philly. And it's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll use him on this gig at least first before we bring him on board. 
and like, man, everything sounds really good. I, I go down to the show as well. And I'm observing this guy, observing this guy. Um, and, you know, from the first instance I meet him, I'm like, mm, something's just not checking out here. Uh, we go through the first day of show. Long story short, you know, there might have, you know, might have been uh, some substance abuse issues or something. I'm not sure what was going on, uh, but we had to release him mid-show uh, and move on for him. But it's the same thing. It's like, you know, even if everything checks out, until you see someone in person and work with them, see how they deal with a client, you know, uh, you know you're know, you making up, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and stuff like this. this is, I mean, it's different than, than the rock star world, but it's sure. the same, same type of thing, right? Uh, yeah, it's until you meet someone, I have a hard time trusting even a, a referral. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm sure we would all agree uh, it's tough to refer someone because uh, until I've worked with someone two or three times on a corporate, and I just I know they've got all the technical skills, but they've got the great people skills. I, I'm reluctant to uh, to refer someone un, unless I just really know. And it's a it's such a different world, and I think that can be a shock for someone. And this is probably a good thing to d- dig into a little bit for people that are coming from live music or house of worship, and they're looking to get into corporate. Um, it's such a dramatic shift, and it's you know it really becomes that much more of a service job. Um, and you you have these questions. Um, there's a lot of kind of politics, and there's a lot of diplomacy involved. Uh, in my experience, way more than than mixing a you know a, a music act. And you know you get questions like, hey, do we really have to have speakers? in the room um, or you know things like that where, where they're just sort of um, you know if, if you don't if you're not used to those types of things coming down the pipe from event planners and people that, that don't understand our world um, that can be a bit of a jaw-dropping moment so I mean I, I found that when you start to do the corporate stuff it really requires a, a totally different mindset you know in terms of how you're going to approach everything so J- yeah. Jim oh, I'm sorry go ahead, Jim. oh no go ahead Chris I was going to ask um, how you know. Obviously, what Michael listed was a bunch of your rock and roll stuff. How much uh, how much corporate stuff are you doing? Uh, it, it seems you know this time of year for sure. There's always uh, a few, you know a few weeks to possibly uh, a few months at the start of the year where I um, I almost always do. I don't know anywhere from say three to ten shows uh, corporate wise. So I try to keep. Um, keep in on it. And I've been really lucky the last few years and blessed to just have, uh, you know, had a great run with the music stuff. So it seems like once I get going in, in April, May on the the music stuff, I don't, uh, I, you know, I have to turn down some corporate stuff, which is always tough too. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say like, let's, let's call it 25% of the year is corporate. Cool. Yeah. So Jim, uh, last time we had you on, you were talking about you were working on the Roy Orbison uh, hologram tour. I think you were actually on the road with that tour when we were speaking with you. Um, and and since then, you've done Gwen Stefani, uh, the Vegas residency, and the Frampton tour, um, and Janet Jackson. And I was I was fortunate enough to be able to come out and visit you on on the Frampton tour and kind of see what was going on with that. So um, can you talk a little bit about those gigs and kind of you know what was cool and what was a different approach for you and, and some things that you found interesting? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the Frampton summer tour was, was really, you know, amazing because it was his farewell tour, um, at least uh, to America, because it seems like there's some more dates coming up uh, overseas now. Um, but uh, yeah, it just, it just really sold well. And so uh, we got to carry uh, PA of choice and 
um, it, it just uh, it was a really great summer, and it, it was kind of like fun to get started, fun to be in the middle of, and then as we got near the end, uh, it, it started to get kind of emotional actually because we were all. Um, getting ready to say goodbye to someone. I've worked with them now for uh, four years, but some of the folks on that tour have been with them for 15 years. And uh, um, it was it was tough, but we finished uh, we finished up in Concord, California, very close to where uh, Fran Becomes Alive was, was mostly recorded. And uh, so it was a really nice way to wrap up. And I got to take out, uh, you know, the console and, you know, speakers of choice, uh, which was, it was really fun. So that's a treat for you, right? You don't usually get to carry PA on your tours. Um, no, it just depends. Um, you know, a couple of years ago uh, with Matchbox 20, I got to uh, do that. And so it's hit and miss, you know, it, it just depends on, um, you know, how how the seats are selling and, and that kind of thing. But uh, generally, I'd say I almost always get to carry a console, so... At least I'm not reinventing the wheel every day. <laughs> and so when you when you have um, this is this is a great kind of transition to something that that uh, we wanted to talk about and something that we talked about a little bit last time you were on. When you've got your own PA on the tour with you, you have your own system tech on the tour with you. Um, you kind of get a little more flexibility and consistency in terms of how you want to approach you know, the presentation of the mix through the system and all that stuff. And something we talked about last time and uh, we wrote an article together about is this idea of, you know, how are we going to tune the PA? Are we going to tune it flat? Are we going to kind of have a tilt up? And something that you were saying last time is, look, if you walk up to a big festival PA or you hang a large format PA out of the box, you've got a, you know, pretty significant low frequency tilt up. Um, and at that point I was saying, yeah, you know, I, I try to flatten that out uh, when I can. And and since we worked on that article together, um, we've both kind of been experimenting with some alternatives there and, and some different approaches. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> Why don't you talk mm-hmm. about kind of what, what you've changed, what you've kept, you know, what you've learned from kind of having to experiment with that for the last couple of months? Yeah, I feel like it's always a work in progress. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, depending on the type of uh, event you're doing as well, um, it makes a big difference. And having having Chris here who does, uh, you know, so much corporate, I'm sure – Chris would would also give his uh, thoughts on this that you know a lot of time for spoken word things you know uh, house of house of worship uh, you know sermons and and spoken word and also corporate events um, you know I really fight and try to get rid of the big uh, bass tilt that's in a lot of uh, default presets out of the out of the box but. Um, in music, you know, sometimes uh, it's a good thing to have a little bit of that in there um, as a starting point, and then kind of morph your 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 channel EQ and your and your console EQ around that. But uh, <clears throat> but this summer, after especially after writing that article together, uh, Michael, I I was like, you know, I'm really gonna I'm gonna try to live and and die by this theory, and so. <laughs> I, I sort of, uh, I worked on making my console mix sound a lot more like a mastered record and then, uh, tried to get the, the sound system, uh, much more untilted in the low end. And, um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's so much more to it than just what, is, what comes out the 
the speakers to the audience. There's, there's, you know, what speakers can you control going backwards? You know, it's, it's, you can do a, a cardioid subarray. Uh, and so you can sort of control a lot of low end that's going backwards if you, you know, do some cardioid, uh, principles on your subs but a lot of times with the speaker boxes you can't do that um you know you can do some hang some some base boxes next to the array or or position your subs in a certain way that you can utilize a little bit of sort of acoustic uh cancellation behind but um a lot of times if you've got 40 and 50 hertz coming out of your main speakers it's gonna go everywhere so um right. So it's interesting, like, where do you want that low end coming from um, and how, how are you going to blend and morph from the main low end of the main PA into the subs and how does that affect the audience and the stage? So that's what I was really uh, in the lab about this summer and it was really fun. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've been working with one of the things that I like to do is I work with a, a production company around here. And, and so I kind of know when I'm working with these guys, I know exactly what PA I'm going to get. You know, I've tuned it a bunch of times, so I kind of know how it's going to behave. And, and I've actually got to do a bunch of shows in the same space. And so for me, that's a great little laboratory to say, OK, well, this show, I'm going to try this. And so you kind of have control over more of the variables um, and a little bit of time pressures off. And so I, I, I started after we wrote that article, um, I started tuning a lot flatter. Um, for speech, I did I did a, a couple of musicals, and I did them just razor flat um, all the way up to the top of the box. And for music, I was doing a very, very gentle tilt, and I still found myself cutting out, you know, when you get into these rooms, cutting out 200, cutting out that mm-hmm. stuff. In, in if I take 200 out of seven inputs, <laughs> you know, that I'm starting <laughs> to think, why did I tilt my PA that much? And so, um, so I have been kind of tending back towards the flat for a lot of the lower SPL acoustic stuff, lighter music. Um, you know, if I'm going out to do a big rock show, I'm probably still going to put some tilt in there. But but I, I, I also really like the fact, like you mentioned, you know, one of the bands that I've been in rehearsal with, um, I mixed, I just kind of got a board mix set up and I got it to sound good through the playback rig in the studio and said, okay, let's now let's just go out and I'm going to do what I need to do to the PA to get that to sound correct. And the answer was a very slight tilt, as in my case, is, is what I found. And, and the other thing I really like about that is I just did a record matrix off the console into Logic, and I sent it to the band, and they're like, yep, that's that's how we sound. And so, you know, to not have to go back and try to doctor up these board recordings later just to untilt them or whatever and to get them to sound right again, you know, when it's coming out of the console correctly, um, I feel like the big benefit because it saves me a lot of time later. Absolutely. Chris, what do you... Uh do you concur on the uh, spoken word thing and then kind of, uh, you know, obviously we have to get the low end back in somewhere. And uh, a lot of times it's in corporate world is done with an augs mix or some something where the big powerful stuff <clears throat> gets sent, on, you know, only gets sent to the subs and, and the, the voices don't. What's your approach there? Yeah, for me, it's definitely um, I definitely shoot for kind of the flattish response, kind of possible, and then you know the the haystack or the buildup, if you will, at the end of it, kind of comes from. For me, it's mostly oxfed subs. So uh, you know, my mains I'll typically I'll do is is as flat as possible with, with no end, no no low end buildup. In fact, you, uh, Michael kind of alluded to a lot of um, manufacturers recently kind of have like a, their natural. 
uh, their natural built-in presets have this, this this bump down there because when you when you throw up a CD track or something like that and play it, it, it automatically kind of has that 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 warm that warm feeling to it. Uh, I'll typically cut a lot of that out, um, and that way, because as Michael also said, if I'm already cutting three three fifty out of every vocal and every every lav and stuff, it's like, well, okay, it's probably the room, not the microphone. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I, I definitely use, uh, subs and corporate as my, as a tool in terms of impact, you know, and most of that impact comes from, you know, stingers, like walk on music, stuff like that, or, mm. or video playback. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of the same principle. Jim, you had mentioned you, you had taken your focus, uh, of trying to make your mix, um, as, you know, as studio quality as possible, or just making sure the mix coming off the board is, is perfect and, the, and not letting the, the PA affect it. What, what did you do from the mix side? Were you doing virtual sound checks? Did you actually take it in the studio or using cans? How did you, how did you perfect that side of it before taking it to the PA? Yeah, lucky, uh, luckily, a lot, you know, a lot of these uh, tours, we get to have a little bit of rehearsal time. So, um, yeah, a little bit of headphones, some near field monitors and, uh, um, uh, you know, virtual sound check for sure. Getting to um, to you know, kind of really focus in on certain things and and uh, get that uh, get it sounding the way you want in the console. And, um, and uh, you know, it it I don't use a, a lot of plugins, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it can be none. You know, <laughs> very often it is none, um, but. Uh, you know, so I was actually doing a little uh, low end bump and a little little high end uh, shelf kind of thing on my left right on my console mix, and just working with that, as you said, in headphones and, and near fields and stuff, to get it to sound more like a you know uh, a produced uh, mastered album and and just you know it it does change things overall. Um, uh, when it when it comes out of the PA, and so definitely some some untilting is necessary. Um, one thing I'd like to mention, and this is something that I don't know how much we really talked about this, uh, uh, Michael, in, in our article, but I, I know we mentioned it. It's it's when you have to play in the sandbox, right? When you have when you're on a festival, and right. you you have four or five other bands on there. Um, let's say you you're the headliner and you get to tune the PA, you almost have to ad- advise the other folks, Hey, I'm going to tune it a little thin because this is my approach. Or you kind of say, well, it's tilted fairly heavily. I'll change my console EQ today to, mm-hmm. to play better with others because, uh, you can't be so far off from what everyone else is doing. Um, or, or you let, the PA be what it is. And, uh, uh, as Howard page was saying, you know, he, he carries around some Lake EQ so he can, he can leave his console the way he wants, but just fix the PA, um, only for himself, uh, right. and let it be what it is. So. And, and I, I, I have found myself sort of tending towards that approach or I don't necessarily want to go into a room and retune their whole PA if I don't have to. And so, you know, my, my main left, right, 
never leaves the desk straight out. It always hits a matrix. And so I can do anything I need to on that matrix. And even uh, on my Midas console, which I use most often, there's a built-in loudspeaker processor in the effects rack. And so I can do any crossover filters and whatever I need to do. And so I will I will put in tilts or untilts or shelves or whatever I need to in that matrix. And so my mix doesn't have to get screwed up and I can hit their PA without having to change their tuning. And, you know, that's where I'll go to kind of get my mix to sound right without asking everyone to, you know, kind of work around what I'm doing. So that that's that's what I've found to be effective at this point. Hey Jim, what what did what did you find yourself doing or was there any aha moments that hey, I've been doing this for so long on this mix and now I need to change this or what what what, what did you you know, I imagine you've been mixing for a while, you've been happy with how you've been mixing. What did you actually change that was different for you? Uh well, definitely, uh, I think the biggest thing that was the aha moment was the the um, the crossover region between the mains and the subs all, all summer. So, especially uh, uh, you know, being a, a K two L acoustics K two PA with with um, L acoustics subs, you know, I mean, there's more low end available to you than you know than you know, I, I would say you could ever want. There's, there is a lot of low end available to you in, in both of those speaker zones. So how do you blend those together? And, um, and so, uh, you know, they have some great tools and a lot of these, uh, a lot of these companies, (laughs) yes, that just appeared on my screen. Kyle, Kyle Trisha just showed up everybody's. (laughs) I, hello. I lost electricity in my house, so that's why it's dark. Well, Kyle, uh, Jim Yakubuski is our guest today. So uh, I know you guys have been, uh, yeah, I know, I know you've been excited to talk to Jim for a while. So, so now that your power's back on, that has become a reality. Say hello to Jim. <laughs> hello, Jim. Hey, Kyle. Hey, same to you, man. Good to have you with us. Good, good to be able to join. So, Kyle, Jim was just talking to us about um, his strategy for for tuning a PA, and when he's at a festival, and you know, does he gonna, how's he gonna handle, you know putting the curve on is he gonna put it at his desk is he gonna you know tune the, the the festival rig differently so we're we're talking about kind of different approaches when you're when you're sharing a pa with other people and working on a board mix and stuff like that oh i don't know anything about that i get my swerve <laughs> on i don't get the curve on <laughs> if you swerve too much though do uh you know do they take your keys away or what <laughs> no you just get a job for the other production company next time <laughs> <laughs> nice Jim, you you wrote something. You wrote a couple things this year that that were very interesting to me. And um, one of the things that you were talking about recently, and I think I think it ran in in our most recent issue of of Live Sound International. You're talking about if you kind of work on that transition and flatting out that flatten out that region between the subs and the mains, then you all of a sudden eliminate that issue where when the bass player is playing ascending notes and he crosses over from the subs to the tops, you don't get that kind of weird change in tonality or change in level. Right. Um, you kind of get more consistency further down. And I thought that was a, a really interesting point, and I think it's a very, very strong argument for this flatter curve. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the benchmark instrument uh, for me was the bass, uh, trying, to <clears throat> trying to just, you know, sit at the front of house position and um, – uh, not only just get the the transition in the PA to um, to be smooth, so that you know, 50 hertz had the same magnitude as 100 as did 200, um, but also to get the whole PA within the room to be even, 
so that uh, front of house wasn't so lumpy compared to, you know, 20 feet off center where there was a big null. And so we worked super hard. Uh, uh, Carter and I, my system guy, we worked really hard every day on, on making the entire venue sound the same, but also, uh, yeah, that, that transition from mains to subs to just be more fluid. It works great on, uh, you know, keyboards as well. And another thing is toms, you know, you know how sometimes if, if the crossover between the subs and the mains isn't quite right, you'll have like Tom one, two, and three sound great. Tom five sounds great, but four is just gone and there's no tone to it. So, uh, that, that helps with Tom's a ton. I thought, I thought that was a really cool observation. And I have to tell you the thing that, that really changed my approach that you wrote about this year, um, we're going to just have the, the, the info section for this podcast is just going to be a list of, of Jim's articles at this <laughs> point, but check them out guys. They're, they're really great. Um, <laughs> You you wrote an article of uh, three three sixty degree tuning was the name of the article and it's about cleaning up the stage and being cognizant of what's coming out of the back of the PA not just the front which right. you, which you talked about a little bit um, but this idea that hey you know when I go to tune a side fill or a front fill or whatever it is I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna measure the response of the system with that fill off and I'm gonna see what's there and what's missing compared right. to the main response and then I'm just gonna use the fill to kind of add back in so it, it can feel kind of funny when you're high passing fills up to 300 or something like that. I know it's my kind of, you, you sort of get nervous, <laughs> but, but it works. And then when you say, okay, now I've restored that response to nominal without all this low frequency garbage, just kind of spilling around and, and cleaning up the stage. And I've been trying that since you wrote that article. And I got to tell you, it really, um, that's, that's become my go-to approach. I've had much, much cleaner stages now that I started doing that. And yeah, again, uh, referencing that back to corporate. I mean, uh, you know, all of us who do corporates know that Three, four, five hundred hanging around uh, on stage, going backwards, um, you know, from the mains and from the front fills is just just hell on wheels for lavalier mics and stuff, headset mics. Yeah, bad. Jim, is there is there? Um, I'm not even sure how to ask this because it's something that I always find so interesting. I kind of want to leave it as open ended as possible. But when you, you're starting to work with the new artists, you know, uh, Gwen Stefani or, or Peter Frampton, um, what's the dialogue like between you and the artist of them saying, "Here's how I want to sound." I mean, are you you're obviously reviewing albums? You're you're listening to uh, are you listening to board tapes from other shows? I mean, how do you approach that artist sound um, and and what? you know, uniquely makes them sound like them and, and how involved is the artist in that process? That's, that's an interesting question to me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think more than anything, uh, artists can feel how the mix sounds on stage and that's as far as it goes because, uh, they don't often get, <laughs> they, they don't often get to be in front of the PA to hear themselves unless they're, uh, interested in walking out and hearing virtual sound check. Um, which uh, I've, I find a lot of them don't. Um, and usually it's just, you know, managers, uh, feedback, uh, back to the artist or, uh, colleagues, you know, if their friends come to the show, um, you know, what, what are they saying? Um, and, and I find most, most artists don't even, you know, reference a certain album and say, this was the best I think we ever sounded. Try to go for this. I think it's, I think they play. You mix it, and you hear back from people whether uh, you're doing okay or not. And then, and then the feel that they have on stage. And, and again, with that, 
making a nice transition between the subs and the mains. I think I think the artists really can feel that on stage. It doesn't sound out of control and crazy. Mm. I I was funny because I I just mixed a a fairly well known. It was a one off, but it was a fairly well known rock musician. And my my friend Kip had Winger. just mixed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just did a Kip Winger, and he had he Fan had boy. just. <laughs> I like he's cool, man. <laughs> So, uh, like, someday, if I'm 10% as cool as Kip, I will be happy. You're um, at least 10%. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jim. So, so, so Kip had just played a gig um, at a venue that is mixed by a friend of mine, and I had watched the tape from that show, and I had listened to the board mix from that show. And so I said, hey, Kip, I said, I, you know, I just saw this show, and I, I heard the board mix, and he said, okay, um, there was too much delay. And that was the only feedback he gave me. And I realized that's a really insightful comment because what he's telling me is that one thing he didn't like about that mix, knowing that I knew how that mix sounded, now he's given me in one sentence exactly what he wants to sound like. And I thought, after I thought about it for a while, I said, oh, that's really helpful, actually. He told me the one thing that he wanted changed, and that's great. And and we were off and running. And so, um, you know, I sort of, I thought that was a really interesting way for the artist to communicate very effectively exactly what he wants. Yeah, sometimes it's easier if it's the the one or two things they don't want, you know, just make right. it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. board tapes, if they're, you know, if they've been around, they, they mostly know that they, they're they not always a good representation, so. Right. So, Jim. And that's, that's an, oh, go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I was just going to ask a silly fanboy question. So, what's the tour that you'll never forget, and and why? Hmm. The one that you'll tell your grandkids about, or that that you always go reference for stories. Uh, well, um, I've got some really funny stories that happened from some tours I want to forget, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I I would say uh, you know rock legend. And uh, <clears throat> was my first uh, nineteen ninety one first time mixing. Uh, front of house for van halen i i had done a tour as their monitor guy and then i got to move out to front of house actually it was uh 93 is when i got to start mixing front of house but i i definitely had a moment in alpine valley wisconsin where um we had sold the place to the rafters and if you've ever done that gig it's actually like a ski hill behind you so you turn around and you look up the hill and there's just people as far as the eye can see going up this ski hill and uh the you know the the lighting blinders came on and i kind of peeked over my shoulder and looked up the hill and i just had that holy crap i'm mixing van halen moment (laughs) that was that was my first yeah and that was that was some of the best touring that i can ever remember hagar or roth your favorite Oh, well, I I have never worked with Mr. Roth, so uh, absolutely, Sammy. But I did get to work with Gary Sharon on the last one as well, and he is a lovely gentleman. So I, I am a fan of the Hagar super pop keyboards. Like, that Van Halen was amazing, I think. I, I love the other Van Halen, too, just for the rawness of it, of even in the recording in the early years of, like, that was almost like Van Halen with David Lee Roth. First few albums was like a metal band, almost. You know, if you saw someone with a Van Halen shirt on back then, you were like, "Those dudes are hardcore." <laughs> <laughs> but the Sammy Hagar stuff was like so refined and like super pop songs. You would never think that that dude would come from 
I can't drive 55 and just like write these epic pop songs. I, I think yeah. a lot of those things were super fun to mix too. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of cool keyboard stuff and for sure. Sorry. I'm a super you, fan too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jim, with, with a resume like yours, do you, I, I, how are you not at front of house every single night going like, Oh my God, I'm mixing Peter Frampton. Like I would just be, you know, you, yeah, you just, I, I, I do mostly, you ever just snap out of it and go, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. No, I'm, I, I honestly almost always feel that every night, like, you know, and, and Chris says so much about this on LinkedIn and stuff all the time about just being so grateful and, uh, to pick, you know, pick the job that is going to make you smile every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I, my, my, one of my daughters is, uh, is becoming a veterinary technician now and my son is into music and stuff and I'm I'm uh <clears throat> you know he's starting to play every instrument and I, I'm like I don't I don't care if you go to college. I, I do not care. Pick the thing that makes you get up and and smile as you go into work and you will eventually make some money at it. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's uh <laughs> that's funny that you've kind of noticed that on LinkedIn. I mean it's that's something. I mean, look, I, I've been I've been gigging since I could walk with my dad, and uh, I mean, there's literally nothing I ever wanted to do other than do sound, uh, and I fortunately was able to make money at it, you know, uh, and uh, and I don't, you know, I've thought about you know different ventures, you know, and things like this, like podcasting, some some social media marketing stuff that I've done, like those are all like fun, like side things to do with it but i mean absolutely like i you know i i can't see myself doing anything else and i would encourage you know my kids same same thing you know if there is you know it, i think i kind of said this actually in um when i had my first episode with with michael and kind of talking about career paths and early careers like look if you if you aren't doing this because you absolutely love doing this get out <laughs> because <laughs> because uh you're this, taking our gigs we 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 could, <laughs> we could be doing those gigs no yeah i mean it's this is such a you know obviously it can be a um a very tough industry you're grueling it can be grueling on family relationships it can be grueling on your body all of those things but uh so at the end of the day look if, if you're not doing this gig because you 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 don't have the passion for it then you're you're doing the wrong thing for sure Absolutely. I kind of wish at some point I could just like choose what artists I want to work with and choose my <laughs> price though. Like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. I want to be in this band that nobody really cares about and I want to make a lot of money doing it. That doesn't, <laughs> those two things are, it's like, do you want to be fast, quick, or good? It is Christmas. Wishes a lot yeah. of a lot of magic comes true this time of year. I'll rely on the stories because I know uh, with with my stepkids, they're at that age where um, when I was touring, they'd come out and see shows and they'd ask all kinds of questions and try to go backstage. And now it, they don't even care. They're like, "Oh yeah, stepdad's working for so and so." So it's cool to be in the circles and to be able to talk about you know, who you've met and who you've worked with and those like, oh shit moments when like your, your hero walked on stage and you got to mix them. Like, that's insane. Like we are all blessed. That's for sure. Um, we might not be able to pick our path, but, uh, the things that have been put in it are pretty amazing. Uh, 
Van Halen, holy cow, are you kidding me? Like, you can't even, like, <laughs> I know. that's that's amazing. Like, and I bet there was struggles, and I bet there was ups and downs, and um, I, I, I've met Eddie Van Halen. I met his son a, a couple times. He came out to um, a couple of shows that I was working for another band, and they just seem like really eccentric people. Like, they would be picky about, they're picky about the sound that they went to hear that night. I couldn't imagine them being on stage and, and dealing with that as well. Yeah, I think it helped a lot to do monitors for the first tour as because, you know, I got to really bond with them and, and understand what they want to hear, you know, getting back to that question again, what do they want to hear? Well, we all know they don't often get to know what is coming out of the front front of house. But if you can if you can earn that trust that, you know, I know what you want in your, your in-ears or in that wedge, um, then I, you know, I think it's easy to transition to front of house from there, you know. One thing that I found with monitors is that often the artist will know that they don't like something, but they, they're not necessarily sure of the best way to to communicate that and mm. and so i think you, there's a little bit of kind of a mind reading going on there if you keep asking me to turn something up you know it probably means that something else should be turned down um i've had people say it sounds cold or you know i sound far away and so those is that a tonal change is that a reverb change you know what i mean so kind of trying to d sort of decode what what they're experiencing in their brain and say well what technical change can I make to make them more comfortable? I, I think that's a very important skill, even for, for those of us who, who mainly work on front of house. I think, you know, that's a good experience to have. I call it Miss Cleo because it, it's not magic whatsoever. You're just really just guessing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but once you fix that thing for your client or your artist or whatever, all of a sudden you are magical to them. And, and that's a good moment. <laughs> it, it's funny too because so so I'm I was primarily a monitor guy when I was touring and so I and I, I love monitors um, and so much of it is psychological right and uh, I think it's actually one of the things I like the most uh, and um, and it's fun I have a, a funny story with um, so I, I did about a year on tour with Josh Groban and I was uh, you know, just a monitor tech uh, working for for Will Miller the monitor engineer at the time. Um, and then we'd come to the end of the road of the tour, um, and there was about six months or so to a year of just uh, TV shows and, and festivals and, and, and different things that, that needed to happen. And so he kind of handed the keys to me to, to, to be the monitor engineer for, for that run of stuff. He was just kind of burnt out and needed a break. Um, and so I'm, I'm just traveling around with him doing, doing shows, and we did um, – early on, uh, we had done um, uh, Bryant – Bryant Park, uh, Good Morning America, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing sound check, and like he's like, man, he's like, he's like, something's just not right. I, I can't tell what it is. You know, the piano's just not sounding right. Meanwhile, like everything is like, it's still like Will's console file. Everything is, you know, everything is still like, still like there. And I'm like, I can't figure it out. So I, I give Will a call in between like sound check and the show, and I'm like, Will, what's uh, what can I do here? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. He's like, he's like, don't worry about it. He's like, he's like, just tell him you called me. And asked, you know, what to fix. He's like, you know, pull, pull a little, maybe three or four hundred out of his piano. You know, that way you say you, you can say you've done something, right? Um, but uh, you know, he's like, just, just, just tell me, just tell me, talk to me. He's like, and that'll ease his mind. 
it's sure enough, like in between, in between, you know, sound check and the show was like, Hey Josh, just let you know, uh, you know, I talked to Will, he, he gave me a few little tricks to do. I'll do that. And like, I mean, I'm talking, I pulled maybe a DB or two out of the piano. He comes after the show. He's like, Oh man, everything was, that was, it was great, Chris. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know? And, and so 90% of that was just him psychologically thinking like, okay, I'm still working with this new guy. I'm still feeling him out, but I was able to talk to, you know, the guy that he's been working with for the last six plus years and, and he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's just that, that psychology thing of it yeah. is definitely another aspect of it. For sure. I mean, that, that trust is huge. I, I had an artist recently who said right before they walked on stage, they said, hey, um, you know, are you going to be um, – are you going to be in communication with David tonight, who was my monitor engineer on that show? And I said, yeah. You know, he's because I, you know, I might, I might need a couple changes to my monitors during the show. And I feel, I said, he's there for you. I mean, that's his job. You ask him if you, if something's not right, let him know. Ask him if you need a change. And and to get the artist, I've had it a couple times, the artist to feel comfortable with asking for a change in their monitors, to feel like they're not bothering the monitor engineer. It's like, no, that's why we're here. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I would rather have you ask me for stuff than just assume that nothing's going to change and, and be uncomfortable all night. That's not going to help anybody. And so, um, you know, that's something that I've had to, particularly with artists who, who are used to working in smaller venues and are not used to having that, dedicated monitor engineer, that's, that's kind of a conversation that I've found that is very helpful to have. Hey, this person is here on stage for you to make you comfortable, and that's only going to happen if you communicate with them. So don't be afraid. You're not bothering them. That's their job. Let them know what you need, and they're going to take care of you. Good point. So, Jim, Eddie yes. was probably designing <laughs> uh, the, the 5150 head or some kind yes. of Eddie Van Halen head during the time that you were out. Did you, guys, did you do any work with that? Or like, as a sound guy, what, what did you uh, attribute to his design? Well, uh, yes, he, he had just, uh, I think that 91 tour was the first time he used that 5150. Um, but... Um, you know, I'll just say this. Sometimes I will recommend tonal changes to an artist. That's not one guy I'm ever going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's just go with that, Eddie. That's that's real good. You know, that that head pretty much revolutionized. I mean, between the the Mesa Boogie dual rectifier and the the PV fifty one fifty, those two heads revolutionize metal guitar playing period mm-hmm. like it, the people are still looking for them today and and trying to replicate that sound i think i don't know 5150 was one of my favorite heads to mix when i saw i thought oh cool it's gonna sound great sometimes it didn't depending on guitar players but yeah i know um it, it probably the question i wanted to ask was the mind of eddie van halen and the way he did his stuff he was probably kind of like a mad scientist guitar player right uh i mean most of the programming and stuff all the bounce delays and the and the the eventide harmonizers and all that it, it, you know it, it's all pretty much figured out uh in, in um in rehearsals uh or you know during recording and then uh, the sort of pre-rehearsals before we all get in there um but yeah, I mean, I've actually seen other people try to play his rig. You know, he'll he'll go, yeah, yeah, here, here's put my guitar on and try, and and it's it's never the same. Like it just doesn't sound the same. So um, I think that once he kind of gets to a, a place, and this was this was quite a long time ago. 
uh, too. But when you know, in those days when I think it was more about him just being in the in the moment of the show and and playing and you know pedal pedal changes and stuff like that uh, presets and, on his pedal board. But um, yeah, I don't think he tweaked too much stuff on the road. So speaking of presets, Jim, you have it in your book. Um, oh gosh. Which, which <laughs> <laughs> you've got a bit in your book um, about you have a, a little a little notebook that you make yourself with you know the reverbs and the effects settings for each song um, to kind of keep those settings consistent. And so, how has that changed going from analog outboard stuff to going to digital? And, and you know, like I mentioned, I, I came to one of your shows and watched you mix this summer, and you're doing everything on board, everything right in the console. You did have your little Excel spreadsheet there that kind of yeah. you know had what's happening and what song. And, and so, you know, do you still find yourself manually adjusting those parameters per song, or are you starting to rely on console automation? What's your what's been your approach with that yeah i think it, it, it's just really dependent on the artist um i think i think with frampton it was probably one of the least uh tweaky shows you know as far as me changing stuff i mean you basically get a a little bit of a reverb sitting on top of things and a, and and i would you know tap out the delay for each song but it was just a short little bounce delay on the vocals. And just depending on what type of song, I would maybe uh, adjust the level of overall reverb and delay in the song. But yeah, not a lot of changing. But with Matchbox, uh, a couple summers ago, I used a lot of um, fader automation uh, between songs to, to get those first you know four bars of the song to come off uh, pre-mixed kind of thing uh because yeah. it was it was fairly different but with um with with peter it was uh, you know there wasn't a single scene in the whole show it was just basically unmute and then mute again at the end so uh effects all of that just depends on the artist and and how in depth the changes are on the on the records and how much they want their live show to sound like the record so and I just want to throw out there, this is an important thing for me, is that, you know, a lot of people um, that that do these, you know, the, the A-level tours, they've, there's buses upon buses and parallel processing and all sorts of outboard, you know, racks and fancy stuff happening. And I think it's very easy for people who are, you know, starting off in the business or coming up in the business to look at that and just say, well, that's not fair. I'll never have access to that stuff. So, of course, my mixes can't sound that good. And I just want to say for the record... Jim is the channels go to the main mix and the faders go up and there's there's the mix and so uh, I don't want anyone to feel like you know because all these fancy tech tools are not on their radar at the moment that they can't achieve a great sound because I mean Jim you went out and did you did a you did a, a major tour this summer with with zero plugins right so it's just right. um it's about understanding the basic tools that are given to us in the console and just applying those concepts and you can get some really great results with that and I, I think that's an important point yeah i think especially for live i mean um uh, you know that what happens in, inside a big arena or a, a a shed like you live close to michael that that, oh, that that is that is a nasty little space isn't it <laughs> you you got to be a part of a really horrible day and uh yeah it was tough but uh you know the rooms have so much character and all that you know i i think that i think that uh a lot of those tools really in the right hands can be utilized uh uh parallel compression and and uh tube com 
compressors and just all kinds of uh, plugins that are available can be used by the right person in the right hands. But I also think uh, if you simplify things way, way down, sometimes uh, you'll get better results live. You know, studio is Mm -hmm. very different. Um, I mean, uh, I saw... uh, Speaking of, you know, name dropping and getting to do amazing things, you know, Frampton played the Crossroads uh, uh, Festival this year and I got to, uh, I had a fader on my console. I took many pictures of the uh, tile (laughs) that said Eric Clapton guitar. It was a channel on my console. I know you guys, you know me now and we're, we're all sharing this together. Yeah, it was pretty special. Um, But, uh, you know, his uh, or um, um, Jeff Beck's good uh, front of house guy, Dave Nattel, uh, he was mixing on a Yamaha PM4000. Yep. With, Forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Almost no outboard compressing or, or channel compre- uh, compression processing of any kind. It sounded unbelievable. So, um, so, you know, if you've read any of my stuff, you know that I am huge fan of simplify it get it to sound great first and then only add something if you need it yeah that speaks so much to the source to too it reminds me of um, a guitar player telling me one time he's like you know i went up to this guy i was like oh man your your guitar sounds amazing you know and the guitar player like holds his guitar out next to him and he's like how's it sound right now you know as as, (laughs) you know (laughs) you know to say that like you know look it's my hands you know it it goes to like jeff beck air claps and those guys it's like if you know if any other guitar player picks up their guitar with their rig it's it's going to sound completely different than how their amp and their their head and their guitar and their pedal sound so yeah yeah yeah, to musicians out there, you know, be better players. Like you'll sound better. Here, here. <laughs> well, that's Kyle's big thing. Is Kyle? You know, there's probably nothing wrong with your mix. The band might just be garbage. That's Kyle's whole. <laughs> that's Kyle's have t-shirts. That's, it's true. <laughs> it is. It is true. And not only that, like, <clears throat> be a better band together. Like, learn to play together better. Learn um, to not all play on 10 all the time like have mm-hmm. movement you know frampton's band is absolutely unbelievable at um you know coming down for a moment and then building it back up and and there's there's all this massive depth in the mix and it's the guys on stage creating that i'm not doing any of that you know mm-hmm. so um yeah if you know if you just tell a front of house guy listen you got to use this master bus compressor and these things on my vocal and this on our, you know, that's all great. But, um, if, if you can sound great without having all the, the toys on there, um, then, then I'd say, you know, that's start there. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed, you know, there's uh, one of the acts I work with regularly, the guitar player said to me, look, I want to really do some work on my tone. And, and I love, being asked to be a part of that conversation. That's a lot of fun for me. So we sat down with this pedal board and we made some tunes and we did a lot of listening back and, and adjusting things and swapping things out. And we got to the point where every time he would make a change, I would take out an EQ filter or I would be able to loosen up the compression. And by the end of it, you know, he would plug his guitar in. I put the fader up. I think I've got a high pass filter on it and yeah. that's it. And, and it's like, that's it. And the dynamics are there. And so, you know, if you can really go back to the source and, and, and have the player 
get that straightened out and get the rig straightened out, then, you know, what I've noticed is now I'm not doing very many fader moves. I don't have to ride a whole bunch. And so it's sort of, you know, the better all that stuff gets, the less that I am doing. I'm sort of just stepping back and just letting it happen. Yep, absolutely. And pretty soon, if if everyone becomes really great players, we'll still get paid and we won't be doing as much. It'll be... <laughs> See it catering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's fantastic. Um, so, Kyle, uh, I'll give you the last last opportunity to get any more fanboy questions in here. I, can, I know you've been sitting on these for a while. Um, I don't know. I, I would love to sit down with Jim and have dinner one night and just talk about silly fanboy stuff like... It's amazing that we can do this podcast and have some great people come on and like, I I feel like at some point then I don't really have anything to brag about anymore. You know, it's like, (laughs) there's nothing I want to talk about because there, there's certain artists out there that I would love to just go hang out with like, um, like the Dave Grohl's and the Eddie Van Halen's and like stuff like that. I mean, even though I'm not into that kind of music, I listen to a lot of garbage, um, <laughs> the people that like the mix, band garbage, or? Yeah. <laughs> the people that mix these these iconic bands, man. There's something about it. Like, holy cow, Dave Nattel. We could have a whole conversation of the dudes that he's mixed on a PM 4K. Like, I saw him do a Motley Crue. Like, it, it, it's it's insane. Like, Jim, thank you for what you do, man. And the articles and the stuff that you put out is is invaluable i mean there you can't even put a price on it because some of the stuff that you say and kids get to take away is is amazing i mean look at michael i mean (laughs) well uh, you know thank you so much for that and uh um you know i uh i i really do feel sometimes and and this uh, this might be a good way to 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 finish up here um because i've kind of got an article going in my head right now about how much you can know how many hours there are in the day mm. and when and and how many times have you felt like you're on a piece of equipment and you're just not feeling comfortable and why didn't i spend more time uh preparing for this and i don't feel up to snuff and I've been doing this 40 years. What, you know, how, how much time in your life can you spend being prepared? And if, if you are working extra overtime on that, you know, when do you take the family out for dinner and when do you turn it off and, and enjoy life? And, you know, so it's kind of a, it's kind of rattle around in my head right now. I, 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 uh, I feel like, I'm still so not prepared a lot of the time for for everything that this industry asks us to do. I, I you know what? There's really I was just having this conversation the other day, and I I actually use you as an example, Jim, because the idea is even within our industry, there's so much to learn. Um, every every minute you spend becoming a better front of house engineer is a minute you don't spend becoming a better mono engineer, or becoming a better system tech, or becoming a drum tech. I mean, so it's where do you spend your time? And I said. You know, there's there's an inherent sort of uh, admission in doing something like like I say, okay, well, I'm going to spend you know all of my time digging into smart and digging into analyzers and digging into system optimization. Um, that means that I'm not going to be a gym yak. You know, I'm not going to be developing my front of house mixing skills. So you can't put all your time into everything. And so you know, I think 
thinking hard about what are my priorities and and where's my passion lie right now and where is um what what do i feel is going to is going to be a bit good investment for my time and then being okay with the fact that hey you know i can't be a rock star at everything all the time and you just have to be okay with that and you know my the way i found to help myself with that struggle is okay well i i i learned something today so i've kind of moved forward from where i was last week and and that's helpful to me to say yes you know um, there are opportunities that come up that, that I can't take, and there are opportunities that, you know, by taking them means I'm not taking another opportunity, and that, you know, that's a good problem yeah. to have, but it's all about, you know, you know what, what are we choosing to spend our time on? And I, and I, I would encourage our listeners to, to really put some thought into that and, and to kind of think about, you know, what are you going to be okay with saying that you just spent your time on? Catering. <laughs> I spent my time in catering and in a bunk. <laughs> I I do very often cram. I'm a I'm a real crammer. Like I, you know, I I aced uh, my physics uh, tests in 11th and 12th grade because I made flashcards and I got super nerdy and I crammed and crammed and then I would kill the test and then two weeks later, if you asked me any of that stuff, it would just go. Pow. So I, I'm kind of that way. Like if I'm switching consoles, if I'm if I have to use a new console on a show or a new piece of gear that I've never used before, I definitely get the manuals. I cram. I do all that stuff. I just don't have the retention of some people that I know who I'm very jealous of. I got some friends who, <clears throat> you know, they can be out having dinner with their wife, and someone will call and say I'm having trouble with this processor, and they say, "Okay, page four of the menu." scroll down three <laughs> and I'm like, how can you know that? You know? <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, I try to be, uh, prepared for, uh, stuff I know is happening. It's, it's the surprise things when, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to dig into a menu on a digital console and I'm like, God, where was that? Where's that menu, uh, option that I just can't find it, you know? So, yeah. That's the struggle, though. I mean, we're we're in a technical field, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And you know, I, I asked Bob McCarthy the other day, you know, what's your advice to up and coming people? And he said, you guys have a challenge that I never had to deal with, which is networked audio. So now you have to, in in addition to being audio engineers, you also have to understand networking. And so that's sort of just, you know, it used to be newfangled, but now it's sort of the price of admission. And so I think, you know, that's not going to change anytime soon. So I think. I think that's sort of becoming a new reality that, hey, things move quickly. We're in a technical field and you really have to be on your toes. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for, for being with us today and giving us your time. It's always a, a pleasure to have you on and, and a treat to hear your thoughts. <laughs> and uh, you can see Kyle, Kyle's been very excited to talk to you for uh, quite a while now. So I'm glad his power I'm came back I'm sitting in the dark right now because this was super important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be creepy. It's just this is it. So, so um, yeah. Now you guys have my info. So, you know, like if you need a daily Van Halen story to get you through this holiday season, <laughs> I can I can make that happen. And and Chris, to you, I have to say, okay. So you read, you Googled me, you read all these, and, and you still haven't offered me a gig. What's going on, man? Like. Oh, I, man. I, I, <laughs> what? Call me out. What Damn. am I? Uh, do I? 
Do I? Well, no, uh, it's it's because you're you know you're so you're so busy on all this rock and roll stuff. You know, <laughs> I, you know, it's just uh, your assistant keeps turning me down. So, oh. <laughs> you know what though, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit though because I I uh, I mixed a tiny band in a tiny bar the other night and it was just it was like 32 inputs on stage on a stage that's the size of my car and it was loud and and it was just it was you know I was doing five in ear mixes from front of house and I'm just like <laughs> man this sucks and so I my girlfriend shot a video of me mixing one of the songs from front of house and I said you know what I should send this to Jim and then I check it out but you know what I'm gonna do it Jim I'm gonna send you the video do I'm, it, gonna, I'm gonna it, have you uh, you it. critique my mix man we'll see that's what great. we'll see what you have to say that's great that's great <laughs> probably too much delay. <laughs> it's not 1984 oh, anymore. I uh, know, I know, but those reverbs were so great back then. They yes, were they cool, were. man. So uh, make sure all the listeners check out, go to Pro Sound Web and check out Jim's articles. They are all uh, just amazing, amazing, amazing resources, and uh, we can't wait for that next one. So when you when you finish it up, Jim, send it along okay. to us, and uh, we can't wait to share it with everybody. So thank you for being here, and. Um, we will talk to everyone very soon. Bye.